Welcome to the I Create Daily Podcast. I'm Leora Alderson. And I'm Devani Alderson. We're your co-hosts on this journey of creativity and productivity. I Create Daily is for artists in every genre of creating, from musicians to writers, crafters to inventors, bloggers to entrepreneurs. I Create Daily is a movement for creators serious about your art. If you're into creating anything, this podcast is definitely for you. Thank you so much for joining us on this journey. This is the I Create Daily podcast, a movement for creators serious about their art. I'm Leora. And I'm Devani. And today we're joined by Matthew Turner. Matthew is the founder of Turn Dog Publishing, and he has published seven books, six of them fiction and one nonfiction. His bio says, I'm a writer, storyteller, father, and guy striving towards my own definition of freedom and success, which we love. Um, He also helps millennial entrepreneurs align their business mindset, their business and mindset, so they build a lasting legacy. Other things that we're about to, so this is perfect. His articles, Matthew's articles have been featured on Forbes, Entrepreneur, Product Hunt, Copy Blogger, and he's been interviewed on EO Fire and other prominent podcasts. And last but not least, he enjoys a rich cup of black coffee. <laughs> Cheers to that. The most important part of it. Yes. Yeah, well, and I mean, I mean you're, you're, you're Brit, right? So, you know, it's mm. coffee, not tea. So that's important to know. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am one of the rarities over here. I don't do tea. And I'm from a part of the country as well, which is quite famous for its tea. So, oh, wow. go figure. Oh, you're so, yeah. you're a rebel. This is how. We, this am. is where the entrepreneurial rebellious <laughs> it started. started it started know? early, right? Started with my love for coffee. What can <laughs> I say? <laughs> so, so, where are you? You said a part of the country known for its tea. So, where are you? I'm I'm in a little town called Halifax and we're based in Yorkshire which is the north of England and one of the bigger brands I won't say I don't I I couldn't really tell you if it's a good brand or not because I haven't drank a cup of tea since I was about seven but Yorkshire (laughs) tea is um yeah Yorkshire tea is quite a famous one so so yeah from where I live people enjoy a good cup of tea but I'm one of the rarities that don't although coffee is very popular too especially these days I mean yeah yeah. coffee is just expanding all the time so I'm I'm quite lucky more and more good coffee shops are opening up where I live all the time so I get to write there and I get to just drink coffee there it's it's what I do you started the revolution (laughs) yeah yeah I don't know if I quite started it but yeah let's go with that (laughs) yeah that sounds good you heard it here first (laughs) there you go (laughs) so Matthew we're very inspired with your prolific you know creations like seven books published plus an entrepreneurial coach and mentor and other things going on in your life it hasn't always been that way you haven't always been published and you know how so how did you get started with the first one how did you get started in this career, basically living your passion? Wow. Well, it, it began way back. I mean, I'm, I've just turned 33, actually. And I started writing when I was around about 21. And it was after a pretty rough breakup. I was in Yorans of the world. I was in Northern Kentucky. I, I um, basically worked at a summer camp throughout my 20s. So I spent a lot of summers in the Cincinnati area. And there was one summer where... I fell in love and then we, I went home and it was a tough breakup. And one of the things which she suggested I do is to just write and start sharing my feelings. And I think she meant writing it in a journal, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I didn't kind of go along though, though, that path. 
before I knew it, an idea came and it just blossomed. And then I thought, oh, I could maybe write a book. And I hadn't taken an English class since I was about 15. And I still haven't taken an English class ever since. But what I've discovered since then and, uh, you know, throughout my 20s is that I've had a, a fantastic love for storytelling. And I've probably been more creative in my, throughout my life, probably more than I give myself credit for. I've always enjoyed to, you know, be creative, just not necessarily in the way of drawing and, you know, literature when I was younger at least but I've always been quite creative I've always enjoyed stories and I've always embraced storytelling so to kind of skip forward to when I was about 27 I finally got to a stage where I was like right I'm either going to finish this book or not because I'd finished writing it when I was probably around about 22 and I would leave it and I would go back to it and I would edit it and I had these grand visions and dreams of like, oh, maybe it'll get picked up by a publisher one day. But of course, I wouldn't send it out. I didn't send it to an agent. I didn't really do anything with it. Mm-hmm. So I just got to a point where I was like, right, okay, I am going to give this book one final edit and I am going to send it to an agent and I will just see what comes of it. Like I'm going to complete the process because I've spent the last six years doing nothing with it wow. so i'm going to complete the process and either it gets picked up or it doesn't but at least i feel like i can put it to bed but in doing so i started researching more and more and i found self-publishing and that led me into the online world and i met online marketers and online writers and it just opened my eyes i suppose i knew all these things existed but i, I just wasn't a part of it and i just didn't know what it actually involved and I was a marketer, that's my trade. So I thought, well, you know, the hell we've given it to an agent. Like, I'm a marketer, like, I like this. How about I just get it out there? And I did. My first book was Beyond Parallel. I finally left my job so I could focus more on my own writing, but also on, you know, some kind of marketing consultancy. I had no idea what it would look like at the time. I should, in hindsight, have probably stayed in the working world longer to both bring in a little bit more money, but also to, you know, find my... So yeah, in hindsight, I probably should have gone back into the, stayed in the working world longer, wanted to get some more money, but also to just figure out what I wanted to do, like what value I was going to bring to the table. But, but I didn't do that. And I, and I did release Beyond Parallel and I self-published it. And straight after that, I started writing on my next book, which was Ticked for Talk. And straight after that, I started writing on my third novel, I and Love You. And each one of these all had a few short stories and aligned with them all. And then in between all of this, I, I was working on The Success Mistake, which is my nonfiction book. And I interviewed a lot of people for that. And it's just been a journey of self-discovery, really. I've learned so much doing it all. And it all began with a rough breakup. So yeah, hopefully that gives you a nice sort of snapshot, yeah. long-winded one of how it all kind of began. Yeah. Well, so and, I guess yeah. Thank, yeah. thanks to whoever the girl is from that one summer, right? <laughs> Can you That's imagine? it, you know? Yeah. What, I mean, it's, what if, right? Well, it's funny that you say what if, because Beyond Parallel, the first book, is all about what if. It's, mm. uh, I mean, I, that is basically the, the, the premise of this book, this idea of what if. And I've always, I suppose, been quite curious about what if, and that's year particular afterwards, I was all about the what if. What if I'd have said this? What if I'd have done that? What if I'd have done this differently? Would my life be any different now? And I suppose I still look at that. Like you say, what if that summer hadn't have happened? You know, would I found writing still? Maybe, but maybe not. We could potentially all live a billion lives. Right. We only get given one. Right. It's 
it's a fascinating and daunting and, and scary medium. So it's a perfect so yeah. medium for a writer though, because we're writing yes. about parallel realities that we make up. So it makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And it's, it's always how you say sense, but it's how I've made sense of things. And I've started writing more recently after a bit of a hiatus and I feel so much more clear about nice. things. Ideas spring forward. It's amazing. Once you start putting pen to paper or finger to keyboards, the ideas spill forward and then you can mm. just take them and well, who knows what will come of it, but yeah. something yeah. good usually. Definitely. Um, I want to touch back on a couple of things you said in the intro. So you were working full time when you started your writing career, correct? Okay, so so many so many in our audience are at that place where you know they they know that they want to do something more than the job job. They want to do something from you know from their soul, from their passion, you know something that they're interested in and something creative. And yet they're one you know they feel like they might have to do it full time in order for it to work. But you started part time. You did say that maybe in retrospect you could have gone longer doing it part time in order to build a bigger, you know, a more solid foundation, financial foundation. But it's worked for you. You've made it work. How did you make it work during that time when you were working full time and then writing part time? What was your daily schedule like? How disciplined and structured were you? Compared to who I am today, like not really that disciplined at all, to be honest. I, I, I suppose when I first started writing, I, I was a student. So that was a little bit easier because you do have a bit more unstructured time as a student. It's, it's busy, especially when I was doing my master's. But I did have time, you know, to write in the evenings. When I got my job, it was just a case of write, you know, sitting down in the evening and saying, I'm going to write a blog post right now. I'm going to do a little bit of editing. Or I'm going to do a bit of this. You know, always had kind of, I had, I was quite always lucky to not have too strict of a job too. So they weren't like, on my every move so I would sometimes go in and still check on some comments do a bit of this do a bit of that and and yeah I just kind of made it work but I didn't really have a schedule as much um I just was exploring and I was still trying to figure out what I wanted to do I I felt like I thought I knew and in retrospect I just had no idea and I'm only just now getting to a point where I feel like I'm starting to properly understand what it looks like. But hey, speak to me in five years' time and I might still be in this place where it's like, yeah. actually, no, in retrospect, I didn't. Yeah. So it's, it's, you only know what you know. Um, I, but I would like to touch upon there this idea of like people still at work and you know, wanting to you know, branch off and do something on their own and take that passion further. There's a couple of key things which I've learned. And if I could go back again, I would probably do this. The first is it, it's crazy to just set up on your own, like have that job or do some freelance, do something to kind of keep it coming in. Not just for the money because it forces you to work on your passion when you're tired. Yeah. And you learn so much during that period. If you're having to build something, whether it's writing or podcasting, drawing, design, whatever, if you're having to do that after a long day of working or studying and you're tired, and you're still doing that. And after several months, you're still enjoying it. Yeah. That says that it really is a passion. It's a passion to stick around. Yeah. Another thing is that I've also learned from other people more than for myself is that once you start doing it, test it, get it out there. And once you feel you've got to a point where you could potentially leave your job and go out on your own, stick at it for like at least another three or four months. Because that extra three or four months, you'll build great attraction. You'll earn more money. You'll mm -hmm. save more money. And again, it's forcing you to appreciate that it's not just about the passion. 
Yeah. Your passion also has for a purpose. And then this is the final point until I let it back over to your fine selves is passion alone is never enough. You need to have passion and purpose. If all you've got is purpose and you're not passionate about your work, I think you'll get to a point where it'll just feel like a job. Yeah. But if all you've got is passion and there's no purpose to it, you've basically got a hobby. So it's about finding and validating that what you do is something that you love and it's something that you're good at and something that you, you know, bring value to the table, but also making sure that there's a purpose to it, that it's helping other people. Yeah. It's providing the service and those people are willing to pay for it. Because if you don't have that, you, you don't really have a business and you don't really have a career. And that's something I'm still learning myself. It's something I'm still constantly you know, evaluating and going, have I got enough, the balance right between this passion and purpose? At times I think I do, at times I think I don't. But yes, stick at it. And if you can do that and make sure there's passion plus purpose, and then you validate it and you keep at it for at least three or four months longer than you think it should. Yeah. You've set the foundations for such great success. I love that. That is so important and such great advice. Really, we're going to make sure that, in fact, we're going to send that out in in an email to our people to make sure they get those three points because that's so impactful. We've often talked about here, it's sort of like, the things that, and in particular, as Devani was growing and her brother were growing up from homeschooling and sometimes other schools and, and in and out, you know, how kids, all of us really latch on to different things that we think we would love to do. But really, you know, the proof is in the pudding, the rubber meets the road, where the rubber meets the road is if it is that we're compelled to do it even when we're tired. So that's such excellent, an excellent point. Yeah. Well, I mean, for instance, like at the minute, I've, um, I've been liking yoga a lot recently and I've, I've kind of got into it in the last couple of years and I do it, but I don't do it all that often. I do it like once a week. And if I got to a point right now and say, well, I like yoga, I get a lot from yoga. You know, I'm passionate about yoga. Maybe I'll do it two times a week and then I do it two times a week. But then I just go, you know what? I'm going to become a yoga teacher. I mean, it's going to be my life. I'm going to leave the corporate world and just do that. And it would just be a crazy thing to do because I don't know what it's like to do yoga every single day, mm. let alone do it every single day, several times each day. Yeah. Do I love yoga enough for that? Like you don't know until you do it. So it would be a case of, well, do it two times a week, do it three times a week, take a course, like throw yourself into that world. And after six months of doing so, and then maybe another six months of, you know, doing a few course, um, a few classes here and there where you teach and it's part time and you still come back and you know, I love yoga. I love what it does for me personally. I love helping other people do yoga. That's when you know that actually, yeah, I could be a yoga instructor, but just go into a couple of classes a week and having a passion in that way doesn't mean that you are going to find it passionate enough to like have that be your world. Yeah. Yeah. And it's exactly the same with things like writing. Like some people like enjoy writing in the sense of they like to write for five minutes in their journal every morning. But do they love writing enough to, yeah. to write a book, right. to write for six, seven hours a day, to do all the editing, to do everything else? Right. You don't know until you try it. Right. Yeah, that's such a good point. And it's so practical, too, because a lot of times we hear a lot of advice of like, go try different things. But it's like, it's not just trying different things, because you can be very like, for me, for instance, I can be very, very passionate about this and that. But when you really sit down and examine, okay, do I have like you were saying, do I actually have a purpose behind doing this? Is there something deeper here that's bringing me joy besides, you know, just doing the thing? in terms of turning it into a career. I mean, like, it's fine to have your hobbies. That's great. I think it inspires a lot of creativity in people, but- And relaxation. You, and relaxation and ideas, and it just generates 
positive, healthy energy in your life. But um, just you have to back it up with the practical of like, okay, do you like this enough to put in the 10,000 hours to become the expert type thing? You know, like, are you going to put in the time it takes to become the key person in this field of endeavor? So that's. And especially knowing that, you know, basically a lot of that means. Um, alone time, just working hard. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you're writing, it's just you and the page, the computer, and you know, and there's just a, it's a long haul to bring the book from inception to completion. So yeah, it's a labor of love. Whenever I speak to an author who's brought out a book, um, or at least one who's you know written the book themselves and are passionate about it, it's it's a true labor of love. Mm-hmm. Like we love it. Like I love to write and I love to the writing process and. Even to an extent, I love the editing process because it allows you to turn something that was once maybe just a conceptual idea into like, actually, I feel like this could help certain people. Yeah. Like, I feel like this could have an impact. So the editing process is so hard. It is so drawn out. And the fact is, by the time you publish your book, like, you just are sick and tired of your book. You know, you got to a point where you have to now promote it and say to people like, oh, yeah, you should read my book. Whereas all you want to say is like, don't read my book. Yeah. I hate my book. <laughs> and I think that is pretty much the same in, in any sort of creative discipline. Because if you want to make something great, like you need to throw yourself into it. And you don't just, you know, do that in 10 minutes. Right? Yeah. You don't just, I mean, every now and then, maybe you get lucky and you create like genius out of nothing. But the fact is like, I've been writing loads of Facebook long posts recently and I've purposely not been editing them. They've just been like mind dumps. Mm. And I have no idea how good or not they are, but I know that if I was to just take all those posts, which on in, in its own, like on Facebook is okay, but and then throw them into a book, it would be terrible. Mm. I would need to throw myself into it to refine it, bring it together, expand on certain things, edit it. It would take a long time to do it. And I think that's where people sometimes get a little bit disillusioned with things because it's like, well, I enjoyed the writing bit, but I don't like the actual getting it all together bit. But it's the getting it all together bit that makes the profession. Yeah. Yeah. Just doing a writing bit is is the hobby bit. That's, you know, that's such a good point because we we actually talked with another guy uh, on on our podcast about just the romanticized version of craft and the version that we see success so we look at a successful person who's published many books like you've published many books and there's somebody probably looking at you like oh my god i want that life what they don't realize are the years and the long days and the hours that is spent doing the profession which is training yourself to hone your quality of work it's showing up when you really don't want to show up when you're tired it's figuring out the purpose of what you're trying to convey to people and that is where you turn pro you know that in doing that grind absolutely and and i i think a great analogy of this is if imagine you sign up it's january 1st and you're saying i'm going to run a marathon in december 1st so 11 months from now now the glory and the the thought of running a marathon you're like oh that would be such an amazing day it would be such a great achievement it'll be fantastic and it would be so easy to just sign up for that marathon but the reality is if you've only ever run like a mile you're gonna have to turn up 
day in, day out, week in, week out, and progressively go further. You're going to probably get injured at some point. It's going to be painful. It's going to be hard. You're going to have to run in the rain and the cold. And it's 11 months of running. And although you may enjoy the occasional run, you're not going to know just how much you love or hate running until you start running a lot. But then the flip side of it, because I don't want to like put people off, you've actually got 11 months to run a marathon. So, okay, day one, you are this person who struggles to run a a mile. You You find running okay. You know, you enjoy it the little bit you do. The thought of running 26 miles is daunting to say the least but you can break it down. You don't need to be running a marathon tomorrow. You can actually give yourself 11 months to humble yourself, to to learn the practice, to learn about diet, to learn about things, progressively get better and better. And it's exactly the same with any craft. Where you are right now is probably not where you need to be 10 years from now. But you know what? You don't need to be where you're going to be in 10 years from now. Where you are right now is fine. Just commit and say, all right, I want to write that book. And at the minute I've got an idea. Well, hey, if you want to turn that idea into a book, there is no romance in it. It's hard. Mm. It is going to hurt. But you can get there by appreciating it just is a step after a step after a step. And you just keep making them until there are no more steps left and the book's out there. Right. Yeah. You really have to enjoy the journey uh, and inculcate that. And, you know, and this is where, uh, you know, studies of, kids who could delay gratification show have proven that they are most likely to be the most successful as adults. And that really applies to any field in the the endeavor. We can have a vision of where we want to go and it's important to have that vision and then to reverse engineer that to how we're going to get there and to, you know, recognize that it is a process and it is a, you know, a journey that is supposed to be enjoyed as well. Like if we were to set out cross country from the East coast to the West coast, then we know where we're going to end up and we want to go there and there are things we want to do when we're there, but there's lots to enjoy along the way. And it's really important to do that. So yeah. Absolutely. Got to resist those marshmallows. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We resist those marshmallows. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Say more about that. I got to get on the same page with you. Oh, well, just be the test that you talk about there. It's a book I read not long ago, actually show it by Walter Michel. The marshmallow test. So, yeah, oh, right. Go. There you go. Got it. Yeah. Okay, good. You so the, kid, the kids who, gra- who delay gratification, yeah. There you it go. Is, it's very true. There you go. You know, anything that is sweet and amazing and wonderful, like, like it's fantastic to have that goal in mind. Like, I, I want that book. I want that publication. I want this. I want that. But yeah. it's, it, like you say, it's the journey that gets you there. And there's a lot to be said about b- being able to just resist the temptation for insisting on now. Right. Because if you just had everything now, like you would never have time to enjoy anything. Right. Because you'd just be swimming in glory all the time. And that wouldn't be that fun. No, that's so right. the journey that gets you there, although it can be really hard at times, and to be quite honest, I think if you're going to get in any sort of creative endeavor, like it will be hard at times. It will. Right. Well, and- There's a lot to be said for it. Sorry, yeah, sorry to interrupt there. Um, so it's like the marathon analogy that you used. Um, if you're enjoying the journey, then you're also enjoying not only the experience of the running, but how you're getting healthier and stronger each day. Uh, so as a writer, how you're honing your craft and you're getting better. And I think back to the editing process that you mentioned, 
you know, you have to go through and edit it and all of that. You know, it's, it's, the books are a lot like our children, you know, we love them dearly and, you know, we want to, but there are days that, you know, <laughs> no, not really, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but keep talking. Yeah, no, but I think that the other part of that that I wanted to mention, it is through the editing process that we become better writers. You know, so it's like so critical that we do something that we go through, you know, that we wear all the different hats in the beginning. And I think that it's also okay that once we've gone through that a few times, we can graduate to the place of being able to hire others to do some of that for us. Oh, I, yeah, I absolutely agree. 100%. Yeah. 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 So... You want to go to this thing? Yeah. So um, you mentioned on your site, um, turndog.co, which we'll link in the bio um, in the post um, article. But you mentioned on your site that storytelling takes many forms for you. Um, you have your books, your blogging. Um, you publish on social media a lot. I know I've, I follow you on social media, so I see a lot of those great stories. And you also um, say that you do um, story to help other people with their storytelling. And can you elaborate sort of on that process? Are you helping people develop brands? How are you, are you editing or how do you help other people with their storytelling? Yeah, it's, ta it's taken on a few forms over the years. Um, I've done sort of brand storytelling with businesses before and I've helped sort of coach other people, you know, with like personal brands. It, it very much usually focuses around this idea in marketing in some forms. These days, it's more on the sort of content marketing side of things, you know, looking to do it. I, in, in the end of the day, I, I love storytelling. Mm -hmm. I love narrative. If you gave me a choice to just write boring copy, and I don't mean to, you know, diss copywriters at all because they, they're fantastic. And the way certain people can create a fantastic sales email or a sales page is, is great. And there can be story in it, but not always. You don't necessarily need great story to have a very good sales page or a journalistic article or something like that. But for me, stories where a narrative is where it all brings it together. Because mm -hmm. as human beings, we trust stories. So whether it's through a brand, whether it's through a book, whether it's through a talk, TV show, we trust stories because for millennia, it's how we passed on knowledge. Yeah. I mean, reading and writing is a relatively new thing. Like when you look at the grand picture, like people would pass on information by sharing stories. Yeah. And most of us have very fond memories of stories from a young child. You know, it's sat on grandma's lap or whatever, and it's um, books before bed. So we trust stories. And from, from a marketing point of view, I suppose I've always enjoyed the idea of using story to help breed marketing because it's just more of a, an emotional mm -hmm. approach to it, a more organic approach. And studying marketing at school, I got to see a good overview of the various forms of marketing and quite honestly I don't like a lot of it but I do like some of it so it's like can I use story for it so when I help people with storytelling it's usually on that sort of thing it's the idea of trying to bring together story and marketing and at the minute a lot of that is now sort of content marketing writing content for the people trying to get their sort of brand alive through that and yeah Awesome. Okay. Cool. Fantastic. So your nonfiction book, you have one nonfiction book, right? And six fiction books. The, your nonfiction is The Successful Mistake, and it features yeah. the stories of critical mistakes of 163 successful people that catalyzed their success. 
could you share a story of a mistake that that contributed to your success? I think a really big one for me, and as I, I've talked about it a few times after the book, but it was during the creation of the book. Like you said there, I, I interviewed 163 people. And from the get-go, I focused on quantity. I wanted to interview a lot of people because I felt that would make the book special. And I'm not saying that it didn't. I It was an amazing experience connecting with all those people. And I got pretty good at connecting with people, but I didn't do a good job of then taking those connections and forming relationships. Mm. In other words, I spent all my time connecting and very little time nurturing. And when it came to sort of pre-selling the book and crowdfunding the book and all these things, I thought, wow, I've got 106 people in the book. They're all going to buy a copy. They're going to share with their audience, yada, yada, yada. And for the most part, crickets. And I started thinking, well, what's the deal? Like I started getting mad, upset, angry, like starting down myself, starting down other people. And then it dawned on me, I had been a taker. I had been a taker and I didn't, I never intentionally became a taker. Mm -hmm. I didn't, you know, wake up and go, I want to be the person who is always asking. But I had become that person. And it was, I don't even know really where it happened, but I, I think it kind of came boiled down to this idea of, I focused on the quantity. I was constantly thinking about, I need more people in the book and then forgetting to touch base with them a few weeks later, a few months later and just chatting with them and just touching base and saying, Hey, I've not spoken to you a few months. How's life? Yeah. And that taught me a lot because it taught me that I had become that guy, but it also taught me that I really do not want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy in a personal sense where I only speak to my friends when I've got a new book out and I need their help. And I don't want to be that guy in a professional sense where I'm constantly reaching out to people and saying, oh, yeah, will you be on a podcast? Will you be in this way? And then just like not speak to them again until the next time I need something. I want to be someone who starts relationships and then breeds those relationships. And it's reevaluated my entire thing. It's like changed how I thought. It's changed my sort of visions and my values. And now I try and spend a great deal of time nurturing my relationships as well as connecting. Sometimes it's easier said than done, but I use this uh, piece of software called Contactually, which is basically my CRM system. And it reminds me like if I haven't spoken to people for a certain amount of time. So certain people I want to speak to like once a month or every couple of months. Some people it's like just a couple of times a year is fine or just once a year. But it's that reminder of like, oh, wow, yeah, I haven't spoken to that person for a year not a big deal. We're not really close. Right. Uh, we, we, I don't, we're just a casual acquaintance, mm. but Hey, let's spend 20 seconds to just jump on Facebook and say, Hey Jeff, how's life? What are you working on at the moment? Can I support anymore? How are the kids? What's this? Mm. It takes no time at all, but all of a sudden that means that I am valuing my relationships and valuing my time I've put into creating them. And hopefully it will lead me to bigger and better things moving down the line because I've learned, most opportunity in life comes through the people that you know. Yes. Yeah. It doesn't come from job sites. Yeah. It doesn't come from, you know, the latest marketing trends. Like, yes, you can leverage those things. Yes, you can find success in those things. But the biggest opportunities that will land in your lap, more often than not, nine times out of ten, I would say, comes down to your relationships. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like the network, the network equals net worth concept mm-hmm. of like the people you know. And it's important to know good people who align with your values and and it's not like know them because some opportunity is going to be coming down the road it's just more like know people who align with 
your life in a way that those things will naturally fall into place when they need to, whether it's an opportunity for them or an opportunity for you, whatever happens with that. So that's important. Yeah, it's a tricky thing because, you know, like we're uh, building businesses and working really hard, you know, basically uh, 10 to 12 hour days, seven days a week, oftentimes. And so we're in the marathon. And when you're running a marathon, you don't, that's not usually the time that you stop and have conversations on the sidelines. Um, and yet, you know, in terms of real life connections, it's important to learn how to balance that, you know, that putting forth, that doing, that, you know, taking initiative and that mm -hmm. moving forward, you know, is, is important to take the time. It's like we've had the conversation here where, you know, when we get to this goal, you know, in our journey, then we can, you know, have the time to, to do that. But really, it's the relationships that help us get there. You know, so it's not that we nurture it once we get there we nurture along the way and then that helps us so in that way it's like having running buddies yeah. you know it's like having yeah. training buddies you know we do need to um share and serve and contribute and connect all along the way yeah i think the moment you start saying i will do this when x happens it'll probably never happen because you're going to constantly be chasing shadows and I, that just popped up on my Facebook feed yesterday. And I'm not I was, quite, not, it was Jeff Goins. Jeff Goins. Yeah, yeah. 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 What was it? And he, it is. You go. Go ahead. If you remember. Well, I, 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 that's as much as I remember. Just paraphrasing it was this idea of the moment you start saying I will achieve X when Y happens, like X will never happen, hmm. and you'll probably constantly chasing it. But I think beyond that, you'll probably never appreciate what you're chasing anyway because. I, for me, it comes back to the most precious thing you have in your life. And I'm pretty certain all of us, it's like, no matter where you are in the world, whether you're family, whether you've not got family, like the most precious value you have is time. And every single day we wake up with a new batch of 1,440 minutes. That's what we get every single day. And it's fantastic because every day we get a new batch. It's like, great, I get this new batch of time. But once a moment passes, it's gone. It's gone forever. And people who say, like, I don't have time for that. Like I said, I'm caught up in the grind. You know, I've got working 12 hours. I don't have time to think about relationships too. I'm like, I come back to this. Every single morning. Well, I'll ask you both right now. You, you woke up this morning, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. What time did you wake up? 5.30. 7.30. Nice. <laughs> 5.30, I'm with you. So, yeah. <laughs> You're up your game, Devani, come on. Yeah. No, so uh, so yeah. What, what, what time did you get ready? Uh, 7.30. Uh, yeah, so... I, I yeah. get up and get ready. So, so. My, yeah, mine is it. So I was basically at my desk by 7.30. Great. So, Devani, when you were getting ready, like, like, like what do you do? Like, get some, like, shower, like, bit of hair, like, makeup, like, brushing teeth, all this kind of stuff, right? Yeah, that's... How that's long does it take you? Like... 15 minutes because I shower in the evening so in the morning I just brush teeth brush hair put clothes on okay it's like 15 minutes in the morning right and then you in, <laughs> put like 10-15 minutes in the evening for showering yeah but maybe a little longer yeah. <laughs> maybe a little longer right okay yeah. and this is my point every single day people find time for showering brushing teeth all these kind of things and if you don't have a shower for a day it's not end of the world your teeth aren't going to drop out if you don't brush them every single day i mean it was it was only like in up to the 50s people didn't really brush their teeth it was like a man-made i mean the whole brushing teeth thing was actually created by an advertiser it wasn't by the doctors it was advertisement that made brushing teeth habitual 
But every single day, on average, I would say most people spend between 20, 30 minutes doing somewhat superficial, non-necessary actions that they deem absolutely 100% necessity because they value it. They feel like I need to brush my teeth. So I'm going to find the time to brush my teeth. I need to have a shower. So I'm going to find the time to have a shower. So if you're going to be busy and you've got an early start, you don't just wake up at the normal time and then not go for a shower. You wake up 30 minutes early so you can have a shower and still get to your meeting on time. Mm-hmm. And this is my point when people say I don't have time for things like relationships or my health or going for a walk or taking time to reflect. In fact, you do have the time. You're just choosing to do something else with it. Mm-hmm. If you were to value your relationships enough, you would find five minutes to do it. Yeah. If you valued your health, you would find for 10, 15 minutes to go for a run. Now that might be at the expense of some sleep. That might be ex- at the expense of some work. That might be at the expense of some TV binging. You don't get to add more minutes to your day, but you do get to take control of your time and saying, right, what am I going to do with this 1,440 minutes today? How am I going to spend it? Every now and again, sure, work has to take its thing. It's like, I don't have time to do the emails today. I don't have time for everyone. Fine. But if you start letting that be the everyday, mm. you're on a slippery slope. That's yeah. such a good point. And it leads to a perfect segue to the next question on habits. And so, like you said, occasionally you screw up and that's great. But if that becomes your every day, then you're creating a negative habit of screwing up every day and not using your time right. And five years from now, you're like, oh, snap, you know. So for you, what what are some things you do daily that help your creativity, whether it's a ritual or a habit or some structured thing? What do you do? Well, the recent thing has been my, my Facebook experiment. So I'm about 30 days into my Facebook experiment and I've always been on Facebook and I've always kind of felt like I needed to be on Facebook and I would haphazardly post here and there, but it never had a purpose. And again, it comes to this thing of like valuing your time and how you spend it. If I'm going to spend time on something, it needs to have purpose. If I'm going to do something, it needs to have purpose. And I think we all need to do it like that. So I was like, Facebook, I think can be good for me. You know, but I need to give it some purpose. So I thought, I thought for 90 days, I'm going to commit. I'm going to post at least these four actions every day. So I do a morning accountability post. And Devani, I know, is seeing plenty of them because I'm always a fan of timeline. And it basically tells me what, I've, what time I've woken up, whether I've gone for my run, whether I um, did my morning meditation and stuff, what I'm, my main tasks for the day are. I also do some kind of question during the day just to engage people. I do some kind of long form post, which I'm going to be doing literally the moment after we finish this. And then I do an evening reflection accountability thing. Like, did I do what I set out to do? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm purposely always more conscious now of like doing extra things, but I'm like, I need to do those four things and I'm going to do it for 90 days, except on weekends. I'll still do my morning one on Saturday morning and Sunday morning. And then I'll do a weekly accountability thing on a Sunday evening. And that's what I've committed to for the night days. And I'm about 32 or 33 days into the minute. So I'm actually building a habit. I have it on my phone. It's coach.me is the app. And every single day, I've got to just tick these items off so I can track and build, mm-hmm. build these things. And it's working. And I, whether it's going to be a long-term habit, whether I'm going to continue this after the 90 days, I don't know. I don't know how much I will value it. Do I value it enough to kind of keep on doing it? Is it bringing enough value? But all I can say after 30 days, it has exploded my creativity. 
Wow. Because, fantastic. well, on one side of things, it's, it's got me more excited. Like I'm, I, I'm finding myself waking up and doing my thing because I'm holding myself accountable, which is another habit. Accountability yeah. and holding yourself accountable is a habit. Huge. So whether you're doing it by a Facebook, whether you're doing it by an app, by a morning journal, like, hey, find a way that works for you. But accountability is a great habit to have and it will explode your productivity that I can assure you. But the big thing for me is because every single day I'm writing and I'm not writing to kind of post things. I'm just writing to get stuff out of my head. And it's like, well, I've got to write something today. I've been more strategic with it. I've been able to think, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, how can I have it so it'll benefit my other ideas, my future projects? point people in the right direction stuff, stuff. so I can be strategic with it but every single day I'm sitting down just to write for the sake of basically writing and I'm feeling so good for it my creativity is booming and for me at least I find out myself being more creative once I get into a ritual so whether that's a ritual of writing whether that's getting into a ritual of doing you know something like affirmations in the morning I don't know but me personally, I find creativity breeds from ritual. Absolutely. Mm. If I'm only doing something here and there, it just doesn't, I don't, I don't know. I, I just, it's in a rut. It doesn't feel that real to me. Yeah. But if I get into a groove where I'm doing it, you know, daily or weekly, it feels like it's got a purpose. One idea leads into the next and it does. Into the next. So it's been on the surface. I didn't do Facebook this experiment for creativity. I did it really from a, an exposure point of view. It's like, I want to make sure that I'm on Facebook. Like it's become my social media choice. I become more present. I'll be able to build my audience. I'll be able to see what does and doesn't work. I'll be able to grow things, yada, yada, yada. But the biggest benefit I've had so far, well, there's been two, has been the creativity side of things and the accountability side. And since I've been doing this, I have been waking up every single morning, Monday to to Friday at 5.25 a.m. Mm. And I've been doing it because of Facebook, like hands down, because in the past, maybe in a week, I'd wake up at 5.25 a.m. twice a week or three times. Well, the other two, I might sleep until 6 or 6.30, whereas these days, it's like, no, I'm doing it. I'm feeling better for it. I'm getting more done. feeling more creative in the morning. I'm journaling. I'm meditating. I'm doing all these things. I know I'm going to go on Facebook and say what time I woke up. Did I have my smoothie? Did I have this? And do I have a good excuse for it? So like today, I didn't go for a run because my excuse was rest day. I had yoga last night. But tomorrow, I'm not going to have that much of an excuse. Mm -hmm. So I need to choose. Well, am I going to go for a, a run tomorrow, this morning, and then basically just admit I didn't do it because I'm lazy? Or am I going to do it and just feel better for it afterwards? So it's been huge for me. And that's so, you know, it's interesting because that's so humanizing. And you mentioned on your website that you're an open book and you're all about honesty and transparency, which are very core values for, it's the whole reason we created I Create Daily. It's the daily rituals and routines that make you yes. the pro. And um, I think a lot of times on social media, the big sort of drawback to it is everybody's like, it's this popularity contest. It's, <laughs> this, it's this storybook life of who you are as opposed to who you are you know it's the who you are on Facebook versus who you are in life yeah. and just showing up and being sort of honest about this is my daily routine and this is what I did today it really peels back a layer especially if you're somebody looking to establish a brand as a person it gives it inspires other people who are looking at you to be like hey they're still human 
hey, yesterday Matthew said he didn't run because he did yoga instead, and it's okay to mix up your routine like that. And, you know, so it just adds this layer of these are the fundamental steps that Matthew takes every day to be where he is. And so maybe if I can model something like that, I can be like him or I can be my version of successful. So I think that's really cool. Yeah. And the, go ahead. Yeah. I, I mean, the humanizing side of things. I mean, like I'm going to the cinema after this. I've, I've committed to not eating like sweet treats this month because I've got a mar- half marathon at the end of the month, but I'm probably going to have some like pita chips and maybe some dip or something. So who knows what time I'll get out and, and who knows, maybe tomorrow morning I won't go for that run and I'll just have to admit and say, I went to the cinema last night. I've woken up. I've been tired. I feel lazy. I just didn't do it, guys. And you know what? Sometimes that's fine. Like sometimes you need to sleep and sometimes you just need to say, screw it. Sometimes I've had a shit day and that's okay. And just being honest enough. So, I mean, that's been a big part of the process for me as well. It's, it's kind of forced me to, like you say, be human, to share those frailties. I'm not saying that I share everything. I'm not saying that I'm literally, you know, slicing open my arm every single day and letting everything out and letting everyone else in. But yeah, I'm, I'm sharing more than what feels comfortable. Yeah. And yeah. when it comes to the creative process, I think that's always important. Yeah. And I don't Brene feel Brown, yeah. what the craft. Yeah. Brene Brown talked about that. We listened to one of her um, interviews or something and she said something to the point. She said one of her mottos in her business and her, in her um, personal life is um, you can choose comfort or um, courage and courage comes from being uncomfortable. So if you want to be comfortable, fine. But if you want to be courageous, then you have to open up a bit and you know, you have to do things that aren't comfortable. So. Yeah. And one, the other thing, I mean, the important part, I think of what you shared too, is that, the predominance, you know, the 80 plus percent of what you do yes. is the ritual structured discipline. You know, you're not, you know, insanely rigid. You have flexibility to, like you say, incorporate human relaxing things in the occasional excuse. As long as that doesn't become the way of life, then it's absolutely in balance. In particular, mm-hmm. as long as that's the, the lower percentage, you know, the 80-20 rule kind of thing. And it certainly sounds like it is with you because the problem with yeah. excuses, if we, you know is they, they make us weaker because not only didn't, did we not do the thing that makes us stronger, but then we've spent time thinking of excuses, incorporating excuses, telling excuses, which reinforces what we didn't do, mm-hmm. you know, that, that if we had done it, make us feel better about it. So absolutely fine to do it, like you said, on occasion, as long as it's yeah. in context of the minority of our time. I think a good rule of thumb is to try and not do things two in a row. So like if you're going to sleep in on Monday, okay, give yourself a break. Just don't do it on Tuesday. You know, like don't let that bad habit in because and one of the things which I've learned, I've learned all about habit formation recently and it's mm-hmm. been such a fascinating subject. And the thing is we know what we know and we've become somewhat more enlightened maybe at a certain point in life, but we forget that we've lived like 20 or 25 or 30 or 50 years before that just doing what we do so all those habits that you have right now however old you are where you're watching this right now wherever stage you are in your life like your habits are your habits and most of them have been there for a very long time and they take place in this part of your brain called the basal ganglia where it's just where all the automatic stuff goes on so Mm -hmm. when i feel stressed i bite my nails and i've done it from as long as i can remember and my brain is 
a very busy functioning thing. So it takes the easy way out as often as possible. Yeah. So if your habit is to get home from an end of work and lounge in front of a TV for three hours, because you've done that since the age of 13 and you're now 33, then your brain wants to do that because it's the easy thing. That's what it does. So then saying, I'm going to go for a run every evening is a very conscious thing that's taking place in your prefrontal cortex. You're having to purposely say, mm-hmm. no, I'm not going to do that habitual thing, which I just have done for my entire life. I have consciously got to find motivation. I've consciously got to put on my shoes. I've got to force myself to do it. And it's going to be hard. And your brain is going to be battling you all the way because it's saying, I want to do the easy thing. Yeah. I'm keeping right. you breathing yeah. right now. I'm right. keeping you doing all this stuff. I don't want any more hard work. I'm working yeah. hard enough as it is. I want the easy way out. I want to do that easy thing, which I've mm. always done. Yeah. So you've got to be conscious of saying no, because there's a reason I want to do this new thing because it's going to make me feel better. I want to be better. I want yeah. to progress. I want to grow. But you know, you need to go. If you, whatever your habit's going to be, whether it's waking up earlier, you know, writing in an evening when you really don't want to, like, it is going to be a battle and you are going to battle against yourself every single day until it is in your, in your basal ganglia and it's become your automatic pain. And that takes a long time. It yeah. does. Yeah. Cause if you think about it, you've, you live your whole life with, you know, doing your habit. And so you've had years, you know, for it to become your go-to automatic thing to do. And so just imagine how long it takes till the go-to thing is the healthy activity, whatever that is for you. Well, it's like when people, people struggle with addiction, right? Mm-hmm. Addiction to things and cigarettes. And people who don't smoke will say, well, why can't they just stop? And they'll say, well, I can stop. But then, you know, when I feel stressed, it's my go-to. Or when I'm out and I'm surrounded by other people, it's my go-to. And the thing is, we're all addicted. We're all addicted to our own routines, our own habits, our mm. own things. We don't, we, we all do it. We're all guilty of it. We're all addicted to certain ways of life. We do what we do. We react how we react. We decide how we decide. And most of the time we are not conscious of any of it. Mm. So yeah. then to wake up one day and say, I am no longer going to do X is very much like a smoker waking up one day and saying, even though I've smoked 20 cigarettes a day for the past 20 years, I am no longer going to stop. It doesn't just work like that. Going cold turkey isn't easy. It's going to take years for them to be like fully off the wagon. Yeah. And it's kind of the same with you. Like you can create a new habit depending on what it is, like 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. But to then just get rid of that old habit completely, you may never be rid of it. You're Mm -hmm. consciously always going to maybe just a little bit of you want to go back and do it because when times are tough your brain is going to revert to default setting and default setting is the thing you did for 20 years yeah so it gets back to what you started out saying earlier on and that is um proving proving how much you love what you're doing and what you're setting out to do whether it's the perfect intersection of passion and purpose because you keep going no matter how tough it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the best way to replace those old habits that no longer serve us is by inculcating new ones that converge our passion and purpose. Absolutely. Yeah, you want to do something. You want to write that book and complete it. It's not just about, we'll come back to the marathon thing. Okay, the marathon in this sense is the writing of a book. You're at day one you can't run a mile in other words you have no words on a page Mm -hmm. it is daunting it is scary 
you're not just going to get there like that. There are going to be ups and downs, but you can make the entire journey easier by saying, right, what habits can I create today yeah. that will help me make progress? Not over the next month, but over the next 11 months. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. And, and from the writing perspective, it might be as little as, right, okay, I am going to get up half an hour earlier and I am going to spend that first half an hour just writing 200 words every single day. There you go. Monday, Saturday, Sunday, whatever it might be. Now, not all of it's going to make it into the book. In fact, I may not even set myself a goal of at the end of the year having a book. Yes. Mm. To start with, you just want to get into a routine of writing. 200 words. It could be 200 words of nonsense. It could be 200 words of the same word repeated 200 times. It doesn't matter. It's getting you there. It's getting you used to putting your fingers on the keyboard, your mind thinking about it. And trust me, like you will start to write more than 200 words. Right. Some of it will be good, some right. of it won't. And right. in time, you'll have a book. And I'm not even, I'll just tell you about a guy called Srinivas Rao. He did a post, I think he's done a few posts on this, but he writes a thousand words a day. Mm. And he has done so for, I think, three or four years now. And he's like talked about how it changed his life. Wow. And I remember another person, James Clear, who's all about habits, is far knowledgeable on habits uh, than me fantastic guy so if you're interested in that check him out and he's about to release a book and he talked about how he didn't set himself a goal to write a book by the end of the year but he did set himself a goal to write one article every week and on average these articles are like 1500 words long so at the end of the year it's like oh i've got more than enough for a book he's actually got two two um, books worth of content so it's just how you frame things and like I say people might look at structure and ritual and routine as anti-creativity but most people find it to be the opposite most people find wow once I do something again 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 turn up the creativity flows ideas breed into new ideas and that's when the magic happens yeah and that allows you to then be more serendipitous and spontaneous further down the line because you've got a craft you've got a skill You've got it. You've got a habit, right? Mm-hmm. The magic happens within structure. That's yeah. that's really profound, Matthew. We've taken more of your time than we promised. Do you still have another five to ten minutes? Yeah, let's do a few. Sure. Okay, lines. because yeah. because there's so much we want, so much more we want to ask you. Um, but if you're short on time, we can do part two. So, but if you're good, we'll keep on going. Let's go. Let's go. Okay, okay. So, um, so one of the things that most creatives want to know. Uh, let's say, and there, there are a number of fiction writers uh, and aspiring fiction writers in our audience. And that is, um, can I earn a living from my art? And so, and so, so there's so many uh, various things on this topic that like to, we'd like to ask you next. But let's start with, uh, what are the things that you do with your fiction writing, for your fiction writing, that are the most successful, the most, um, yeah, financially successful? Um. I mean, it's hard to make a living with something like fiction. It, it is. And I think the key, I mean, I'm still trying to find my success on the fiction side of things. It's taken a back seat. Um, but although Devani knows about my next project where I'm trying to bring it back to the forefront, I combine it with my nonfiction. Um, but that's a chat for another day. But I think it comes down to consistency. You speak to pretty much any author who, are, who is like, you know, at the top of their game, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. I know that Ryan Holiday gave the advice to Srinivas Rao actually on Facebook the other day. He was like, Srinivas talked about how he just um, finished his latest manuscript and Ryan just said, start writing on the next one. 
Yeah. And I think that's pretty consistent advice for people, whether you're looking to write poetry, short stories, full books, nonfiction, novels, whatever it might be. You've got to find time to promote your work. Promoting your work is vital, especially in this world of self-publishing, because it's so easy to write and put something up on Amazon and hope for the best, but hoping for the best just won't work. So you need to carve out time to promote or have other people promote it on your behalf. Like that is a necessity. But if you want to turn your craft of writing into a career, you need to look at it as a career and you know, one book every two or three years, like that's a, that's a pipe dream for most people. I mean, that isn't how, like, you know of those people because they are the ones who sell millions of copies. But for every one of them, there is a hundred writers who writing is their career. You know, they are writing, they are editing, they are writing articles for newspapers. They, are, they write enough content to crank out two or three books a year. You know, they're, they're writing. And as soon as they finish writing one thing, they're moving on to the next thing. So if you want to, you know, get your ideas out there, like just embrace this idea that it does not end. There is no end point for your writing. There's going to be plenty of ways for you to write. And the more you write, the more chance you are to get that momentum, get that traction. So write that book, get it out there, either traditionally published or self-published, get it up on the shelves, dedicate time to it. Okay, find a balance that works for you. And I'm not going to tell you whether it's 80, 20 or whatever. It's like, find a balance that works for you. Mm-hmm. So you know that as well as creating, you are also promoting. Yeah. But then make sure you're always creating. It doesn't just work of like, okay, I'm going to create for you and then I'm going to promote for you. I'm going to create for you and then I'm going to promote for a career, uh, for you. In my experience, that doesn't work, especially for novelists. The ones who get there, they are always writing. They are always writing a short story, their next novel, they're doing something. They're writing for other publications. And the reason is because certain five years down the road, you can look back and go, wow, I have written 2 million words. I have had three books and I've had seven short stories published and I've had my articles appear in 20 publications. And you can look back and go, wow, that's a big deal. And now I'm able to look at my Amazon account and see that that people are buying my stuff. It's been a tough road, but you don't get it by just writing one thing and then sitting back and saying, well, where is everyone? Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and of the marketing things you've done or the brand building, community building things you've done, what is the top one or two things that has been the most productive for you? Uh, I mean, if you can get quite savvy with... Um, Amazon's ad service um, it's called AMS that's quite good I think it is a little bit harder for fiction than for nonfiction, um, but it's still quite an underused service so there's quite a lot of potential to make you know decent money without having to pl- plow too much into it which when you start dealing with things like Facebook ads and Google ads it's more of a saturated market so you have to put a lot in to get a lot out. Whereas with AMS, you can put in just a little and get a a decent amount, put a little bit more, get more. So that's certainly something that can help you build a bit of traction. And the great thing about that is it gets you in the search area more, you're getting more books, so you climb the charts. 
And it can be a nice way to kind of force a little bit of organic growth as well. So I've just started looking into that recently and I've actually just hired it out to a service um, for the successful mistake because um, I'm keen to have someone else do it for me because it does take a little bit of extra work. And and if it works, it's something I'll definitely probably do for my my fiction as well because it's just a nice way to drive organic growth. But for my fiction, the best times I had were not so much like the free promos, but just really engaging and forming relationships with book reviewers and book bloggers Mm -hmm. because they all have, you know, these little tribes, they all have these little communities going on. And if you can come across as a really human person for them and not just pitch them with the standard stuff, but, you know, build relationships over weeks and months, like that can really lead to some great stuff. It can lead to features, giveaways and everything like that. But which kind of comes back to this idea of relationships, you know, you, I suppose you're constantly wanting to make sure that when you release your next book, you have more strong relationships than the last time you released your book. Yeah. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. That makes a lot of sense. And it's creating relationships. You know, if you're an introvert and that doesn't come in, I have found that online, it's much easier because you have, you don't have to stand up in front of someone and be like, um, Hey, I have this thing. And, it would be cool to connect and do that 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 can seem scarier to somebody who's used to isolation but instead of thinking about it as oh i go i have to go talk to people it's you are creating relationships and that can go under today i created well what did you create today today i created stronger relationships that will help me sell my art Mm -hmm. and that falls under creating a sustainable income if you're looking to make a business out of it Yeah, I think if I was to advise someone to start out, it would be very much to try and, you know, assuming they don't have anything much to promote yet, is to, right, okay, let's find a lot of time to create things. So I'm constantly creating. And let's find a lot of time to both create and nurture these relationships. And just choose a platform. Just choose a platform to begin with. And that's why something like blogging is fantastic. You know, just like choose a medium. So whether it's Facebook or Medium or your own website, whatever it might be. And and then just go out there and reach out to people who you think could be a good fit. And just have it as your purpose, not to sell them anything, not to kind of have them promote your stuff. But like, you know, if like check out my stuff, like go to here, you know, like have it be a something, you know, sign up for the newsletter that's linked to your site follow you on Facebook, befriend you on Facebook. So you know that whenever you're creating something, week on week, more people are going to be seeing it because all the time you're building these relationships and bringing more people in. But don't try and do too much. Don't try and be on Snapchat and Twitter and Facebook and this, that and the other because you're just going to try and be everything to everyone. Mm -hmm. You're going to be a master of nothing and a jack of all trades. So if you just choose one medium and say, right, I am going to write 200 words every single day and I'm going to share them on Facebook then great, go out there. And every time you connect with someone and try and do it two or three times a day, like send them to your Facebook because you'll notice more and more people engage with that. And the whole point is that that writing will eventually become the book. And then you'll have this audience ready to go, well, yeah, I like this person's writing. I get them. I want to support them now. So if I was to kind of go back to the beginning, I'd be like, right, yeah, commit to writing a lot. Commit to sharing it in one place commit to reaching out to as many people as possible and driving them to that one place and then just seeing where it goes. So 
As a fiction writer, what kind of blogging do you do? What kind of social posting do you do as a fiction writer? As a fiction writer, well, it's quite tricky, isn't it? It's yes. easier to be um, to be a blogger when it comes right. to nonfiction, but I suppose it's this idea of embracing. Okay, so I'll try and have this make sense. Have in your head the big picture, but the people on the other end don't need to know the big picture. And what I mean by that is, like, you may have an idea for a book, okay, and maybe you've done all the hard work and you've kind of got it structured out. You know where it's going to be. Well, that's great. And say you create this habit where you commit to writing 200 words every morning before you get ready for work. Over the course of a year, that's going to be a lot of thousand words. That's a book's worth of content. It is. You're going to have more than enough in there. So just kind of like, that's what you blog about. Don't worry about it being overly edited. Just embrace this idea of, I am going to be sharing these serial snippets on my blog every single day. Behind all the scenes, I am also turning these snippets into a book. I know where it's going. The audience don't necessarily do. But every single day, I'm just going to try and write these. And I'm just trying to write them as like individual little snippets. So they mean something on their own. If it's just a random paragraph and it has zero context, that it probably won't work. But if you just approach them as little, these little serial snippets, like little scenes here and there between 200 and 500 words, then over the course of the year, you're going to create 200, 300 plus posts. Your audience is going to get to really see what it is you're writing. And then all the while you're taking that and you're transforming it into a book behind the scenes in the evening. So you're writing 200 words in the morning and then maybe spending half an hour in the evening editing that and put it into the rest of the story, making sure it still flows yes. bit by bit by bit. So, yeah, I mean, that's it. If, if you're wanting to write a book and you're writing a book as a fiction, like don't be all worried about people stealing your idea about yeah. it for all these snippets have landed on your book, on your blog that no one will read the book. If people like your writing, they will read the book. Okay. They will. Yes. People mm -hmm. like what's on the blog, they will read the book. So just be like, right. Yeah. I'm going to blog about that. I'm not even going to say that it's going into a book. I'm just going to just write. I'm just going to share it. And then in a year's time, it will be a book, hopefully, and then I can publish it. Fantastic. That makes a lot of sense. So um, we will link in the show notes to your Amazon page. So basically your author page. So people will be able to see all the books that you've written. Um, and could you tell us in closing just a little bit about Turn Dog uh, or anything else that you'd like to share with our audience before we go? Yeah, well, and the best I, for them to connect with you. Yeah, well, I would say at the minute, actually, um, because I feel like there's a lot of creatives on the way now, and I'm working on something new, which I'm not quite ready to share. Devan is one of the actual few people who does know about this sort of inner workings that will be leading into next year. Yeah. Uh, I'm very excited about it, but I'm still kind of getting it to make sense in my head. We'll come but back. What I would, come back what I would, yes, absolutely, yeah. we can. But what I would say is I would encourage people to, um, just befriend me or follow me, whatever's easier on Facebook. And I don't know, just like make sure that you engage with some of my posts or like have it so I, you see my posts. I think there's a way to do that on Facebook because I'm going to be sharing more about this project in, okay. the, in the coming weeks and months. And it is basically a bridge of my fiction and my nonfiction. And I'm bringing them both together in what is probably going to be my grandest challenge yet. And yeah. those who engage with me on Facebook will probably get 
to know what the next and first steps are before anyone else. Exactly. The true marketer storyteller. Yeah. <laughs> you got to go follow up with them, guys. Is that a page, yeah. a page mm-hmm. or profile? Okay, so we'll a, put that in the show notes. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, it's on there, and I think it's Matthew Turner. is like okay. my Facebook thing. So, so okay, yeah, if you want to fantastic. Like, so. Well, it feels like we've been on a little bit like on the therapy couch with uh, <laughs> Dr. Matthew Turner because uh, it's incredibly sage um, and practical advice that you've shared today. Thank you so much for not only sharing all of that, your story, um, you know, your ups and downs. And that incredible wisdom, but also the extra time that you've given us today. And definitely follow him on Facebook, guys. I'm friends with him on Facebook, and he's over the last uh, 30 days so far, he's been posting a lot of really cool content and stories about you know his life and just more of the same sage advice. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Fantastic. Okay, talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us for the I Create Daily podcast. Please let us know what creatives you would like us to interview and what topics you would be interested in hearing more about. And if you enjoyed this show, please leave a review on iTunes. We value your feedback. We read all the reviews and it just helps us get the word out on the I Create Daily podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks so much.